Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much that the one who reigns forever, the one that is the creator of the universe, the one that has done everything for me, the one that died for my sins, Lord, you are the one that wants to be my friend. Lord, even though you hold the whole world in your hands, you're the one that goes before me, you're the one that's behind me, you're the one that, that's right beside me. Lord, I pray that today that you would help us to cling to you. Lord, I pray that today that you would open the eyes of our heart. Lord, show us yourself. Show us that you are a holy, gracious, glorious, great God. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, you can go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 15. We're going to be there for just a little bit. I'm Matt Betts. I'm the youth and young adults pastor here, uh, just in case you don't uh, know who I am. We appreciate the overflow. I know they're back there asleep right now, and I'm just kidding. Uh, but uh, thank you so much for, for being with us this morning. Um, Tim's been preaching a series on when people are big and God is small. And uh, he wanted me to kind of wrap things up. And, and I was like, why do you want me to wrap things up? Because uh, people are too big. Uh, but uh, I appreciate the the invite to preach, I always enjoy it, and I always get really nervous beforehand, but uh, I, I thank God that he allows me to do this. First uh, Samuel chapter 15, we're going to look at that here in a second. But you know, there are some fears uh, that people are really, really terrified of. They're clinically diagnosed, they're called phobias. Does anybody in here have a phobia, like something you are just terrified of? Anybody? like the dark or Lent or anything like that, you know. Uh, well, I've got a few. I, I, I found a list of, of six that are kind of interesting, and they get more and more interesting as we go. Uh, the very first one is my phobia, and I'm truly terrified of this, this thing, and, and Brittany's going to help us out. So I want you to look at the name of this, and I'm going to try to, trust me, I'm probably not going to say these phobias right because I'm from Mississippi, and we don't say anything right. Um, <laughs> The first one is called sphexophobia. Sphexophobia. Does anybody have a clue? What, my wife probably knows what it is because she knows what my fear is. But does anybody know, have a clue what sphexophobia is? <laughs> You're right. <laughs> it is the, let's check it out. It is this. It is the fear of wasp. The fear of wasp. Does anybody have this phobia? Thank you. Um, listen. <laughs> This is my phobia, and just saying the word is like, you know, just, I hate, I'm terrified of wasps. My wife will tell you this, that if a wasp comes in the house, I'm like hiding in the closet, and I'm like, kill it, kill it, Kalen, get it, you know, uh, do, do something. Um, I will tell you one story, so you can make fun of me along with my children. Uh, when I was little, I, I was a really good-looking kid, middle school kid. I was, I was really good-looking, muscular. I was, no, I was really skinny, had a lot of hair, big head and glasses, braces, really smart. Yeah, I was ugly. Um, <laughs> I was ugly. I can say, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, and I remember one day, it was a November day. It was a warm November day in Mississippi. And you know how it is when it's, when it's unusually warm in the fall and winter. Wasps start coming out and like, oh, stretch my wings out and go check out and torment people. 
Um, well, I was getting off the bus one day, and I noticed something. I, get, I got off the bus at my grandma's house, and up above her porch was a, like an attic vent. You know how they were in the middle of the house and everything. And I got out, and I was walking up the driveway, and I looked, and I was like, oh, no. There were wasps flying everywhere out of that thing, coming swooping down and dive bombing, you know, just whatever, flying around, enjoying the weather, I guess. And I stopped, and I was like, how am I going to get in the house? I was like, I can't get in the house. And because most people, most normal people would just be like, you know, kind of duck their head and walk on by and go into the house. Not me. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to spend the whole night out here in the driveway. Um, well, about that time that I was thinking these, these thoughts, a wasp landed on my glasses right here. And son, I went nuts. If the, if the wasp would have stung me between the eyes, it wouldn't have hurt as bad as what I did to myself at that moment. At that moment, I, took, I was like, ah! and I threw my glasses off, and I jumped as high as I could in the air, and I fell on the gravel, and I had blood going from my arm and my leg. And I know that wasp went back to his home going, that guy's nuts. You know, <laughs> either that or he was laughing going, <laughs> I knew that was going to happen. But uh, son, I, I'm terrified of wasps, terrified. I was at the church one time in North Carolina, and I was driving through the parking lot fixing to get on the road, and there was a wasp that was on my seat right there. And I jumped out of my car as it was moving. I was like, no, you know, <laughs> like it was a bomb in the car or something like that. That's my fear. That is, I'm terrified of wasps. So let, that's enough of that mess. Uh, let's look at the next one. Let's, let's go on. This is pogonophobia. Does anybody have any idea what pogonophobia is? Okay. This is, let's check it out. This is the fear of beards. <laughs> the fear of beards. So if you have a child that has this phobia, just grow your beard out and you can chase them around like this, you know. <laughs> um, pogonophobia. So that's kind of interesting. I love this next one. Uh, Pelodophobia. Pelodophobia, okay. If, if somebody has this phobia, they would have a hard time in this church. Okay, a very difficult time because this phobia is this it's the fear of bald people <laughs> fear of bald people you know you see a bald person walking down the street like no you know scary so there's probably nobody in this church that has that because there's too many bald people uh, <laughs> all right let's look at the next one paparophobia does anybody want to take a guess at what this one is okay you got it the fear of paper Okay, we actually have somebody in our youth group that has this fear. I'm not going to point them out or anything, but if you wave a napkin or tissue at them, they're going to—they—they they, they kind of freak out um, because they have the fear of paper. Okay, the fear of paper. So, anybody? Um, the next one is one of the most interesting ones. I can't say this one. Anatidphobia or whatever. Um, I think that's how you say it. Uh, but this one's very interesting because it is the fear of being watched <laughs> by duck. Dun, dun, dun. So these people don't go to the pond up there and feed the ducks. You're like, you know, I can't, can't do it. Fear of being watched by a duck. Don't laugh at people that have phobias. I'm scared of wasps. And then the last one is this, pentherophobia. Okay, don't put it up, the answer up there quite yet. This is the scariest one of all. <laughs> this one is truly terrifying. Okay, I have this phobia. It's worse than wasp. Many of you have this phobia. Let's see what the answer is. 
It's the fear of your mother in law. <laughs> Anybody scared of their mother mother in law in here? Oh, I know I am. She's terrifying. So pentherophobia. <laughs> These fears may not necessarily be your fears. They may not necessarily bother you, but there is a fear that traps most of us. And we're going to see it here. And it is the fear of peer pressure. The fear of peer pressure. Now, before you think this fear is just a teenage issue, I want you to hold on. Because everyone deals with the fear of peer pressure. Even kings. So let's look at 1 Samuel chapter number 15. We're going to read the entire thing. 1 Samuel 15, 1 through 25. We'll read the all those verses, quite a long passage, but it gives you the whole story. But I want you to do something, because we're going to take a test, okay? We're going to take a test right after we read the passage, see how much you learned from this passage, and see, see if you uh, uh, understood it, okay? So let's read it. Verse number 1 of First Samuel chapter 15. It says, One day Samuel said to Saul, It was the Lord who told me to anoint you as king of his people, Israel. Now listen to this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord of Heaven's armies has declared. I have decided to settle accounts with the nation of Amalek for opposing Israel when they came to Egypt. Now go and completely destroy the entire uh, Amalekite nation, men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, and donkeys. So Saul mobilized his army in, in Telem. There were 200,000 soldiers from Israel and 10,000 men from Judah. Then Saul and his army went to the town of the Am Amalekites and lay in wait in the valley. Saul sent his warning to the Kenites, move away from where the Malachites live, and you, or you will die with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up from Egypt, so the Kenites packed up and left. So Saul slaughtered the Malachites from Havilah all the way to Shur, east of Egypt. He captured Agag, the Malachite king, but completely destroyed everyone else. Saul and his men spared Agag's life and kept the best of the sheep and the goats, the cattle, the fat calves, and the lambs, everything, in fact, that appealed to them. They destroyed only what was worthless or poor quality. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I am sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my command. Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this that he cried out to the Lord all night. Early the next morning, Saul went to find Saul, or, uh, Samuel went to find Saul. Someone told him Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. Then he went on to Gilgal. When Samuel finally found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully. May the Lord bless you, he said. I have carried out the Lord's command. Then what is all this bleeding of sheep and goats and the lowing of cattle I hear, Samuel demanded. It's true that the army spared the best of the sheep, goats, and cattle, Saul admitted, but they are going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. We have destroyed everything else. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop. Listen to what the Lord told me last night. What did he tell you? Saul asked. And Samuel told him, Although you may think a little of yourself, you are not the leader of the tribes of Israel. The Lord has anointed you king of Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and told you, Go and completely destroy the sinners, the Malachites, until they are all dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? Verse 20, but I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everyone else. 
Then my troops brought in the best of the sheep, goats, cattle, and plunder to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. But Samuel replied, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft, and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul admitted to Samuel, Yes, I have sinned. I have disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's command, for I was afraid of the people and did what they demanded. I was afraid of the people and did what they demanded. Let's see if you can pass the test. Okay, I want you to raise your hand on these questions, okay? Raise your hand, if, or let's just, let's just do it this way. Just say it out loud, okay? We'll talk to each other this morning. True or false? King Saul did what God told him to do. False. Did he do part of what he was supposed to do? Yes. True or false? God wanted Saul to destroy everything, including animals and the king. True, yes. True or false? God sound, or Saul sounds like a kid who just got caught. True. I want to read those verses again because I love them because I've got three kids, and this, this is a very common conversation in my house. Uh, just not talking about killing cows. Uh, it's a little different in that manner. But verse number 20. But I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Ahab, but, 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 but I destroyed everything else. Then my troops, it's my brother. My brother did it. My troops brought the best of the sheep, the goats, cattle, and plunder to sacrifice to the Lord. Have you ever had this conversation with your kids? Did you clean your room? Yeah. I clean my room, and you walk in there, and the room's like, looks like a tornado hit it. Did you clean your room? I, I, I did, but, but, but Kalen, Kalen messed it up. Addison came in here. I, I, I did it. That's exactly what Saul was doing. He's a little whiny baby. All right? True or false? Next one. Saul was more afraid of what the people thought than what God thought. You passed. Good job. The, the truth is, is, is you think, okay, Saul messed up slightly, but you, you can see the result of, of what happened. God completely rejected him. Saul's time as king was, was pretty much over at this time. And the thing is, we, we do this. We do this every day. We do the exact same thing. We fall to the peer pressure that's around us. That's the reason you have commercials on TV. That's the reason you have people spend a million dollars on commercials for the Super Bowl is because peer pressure, pushing in certain directions, of th thinking that this will make you cool, this is, this is going to fulfill your life, you should buy this because it's the best tasting whatever. Um, you'll be the party guy of history if you drink this beer, whatever the case may be. That's what marketers do. They push you with peer pressure in order to get you to do what the culture is doing. That's the whole thing behind it. We don't realize it a lot of times, that's peer pressure. It's not just a teenage thing, it's a king thing. It's a pastor thing. It's, it's a everybody thing. Uh, but one thing about Saul, Saul had a lack of understanding of God. He had a lack of the fear of God. He had a huge fear of people and what the people thought. He even tried after this, he's like, Samuel, you got to go back with me and, and stand by my side so I can face the people. He wanted to make sure that the people had a good 
view of him and a good thought of this guy. And we do that all the time. He didn't understand that God alone had the power to bless Saul's kingdom. And there was two times in this passage that said, it was the Lord that told me to anoint you. Do you realize, Saul, that it is, isn't, it is in, it's in, the, in God's power to raise you up and to bring you down? It's in God's power alone to make you king or to not make you king. God is the one that, that wanted me to anoint you as king. And Saul didn't understand that. Saul thought it was in his own power or the power of the people. He didn't understand that God alone had the power to reject him. In, in verse number 23, says, Samuel says, He has rejected you as king. The power was not in the people, but in God alone. The power was in God alone for, for Saul's life. But there was something that happened. Because Samuel was trying to bang it in his head. He's like, you need to understand that you don't understand God. You don't know who God is. You don't know the power that God has. He's the one that, that raises up kingdoms, and he's the one that destroys kingdoms. He's the one that can either save your life or kill you. This is God, their creator. You don't understand what he's done. So Saul finally breaks down, and in verse number 24, he admits it. Saul admitted to Samuel, yes, I've sinned. I've disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's command, for I was afraid of the people. I was afraid of the people. The word disobey there, it's kind of interesting. If you've got a pen or whatever, mark or circle or, or whatever this, and put out the definition beside of it, it means to step over, to step over. So I, get, I want you to get this picture in your head of what Saul is admitting to me, what he did in his life. He basically stepped over God to bow at the feet of the people. God was so small in his life, in his mind, in, in, every, in his kingdom, that it was pretty much just a stumbling block in the way to bow at the feet of the people. So if God was laying there on the floor, all he had to do is step over God's authority in his life because God was so small to bow at the feet of the people. The people were bigger than God in his mind, in his life, in his decisions. And his whole kingdom came crashing down around him because he stepped over God right. to bow at the feet right. of people. And how many times do we do the same thing every single day of our life? We don't say a, a word that we should say. We don't witness to somebody at Walmart or we don't lead our families like we should because they're bigger in our minds. We're, we're scared of what they're going to say. We're scared of the reaction that they're going to have to us. So we step over God. We have to step over him, number one. We step over him because he's so small that we bow at the feet of a middle school little boy that may reject us. That's what Saul did. And God rejected him. Peer pressure, this is peer pressure, or as the Bible term for this is the fear of man. The fear of man. This is the picture of a teenager being apprehensive about standing up to their friends for what is right because they don't want to be rejected. That's the picture of it. Saul showed us that picture. This is the picture of a person at work when you, when you know you should tell your coworker about Christ, but you don't because you don't want to be judged or have that awkward conversation. This is the picture of a family that won't be consistent to church because you don't want to feel like people are getting into your business. This is the picture of yourself not selling out to God because you don't want to, 
to, to give up things or, or look weird or strange to your, to your neighbors. It's the picture of that. Because we don't do what God calls us to do, the mission that he's called us to be on, because God is so small in our lives, all we have to do is step over him to bow at our real God, the God that is bigger in our lives, the, the person that's bigger in our lives. And a lot of times that's somebody else, a lot of times that's ourselves. And what we are scared of what people will say about us or think about us. And it's a dangerous game, and just as Pastor Tim has said a couple times before, it's a trap. And it's a trap. Do you realize what kind of story this would have been if he would have just gone in and destroyed everything and done what God has said? His kingdom would have been established. He would have been the, the foundation of Israel, but now Saul's life is just a bump in the road of what Israel's history is. And it's the same thing with us in our church. If we use God as a stumbling block to step over, to bow at the, the real God of our lives, we will be just like Saul. What's the remedy? The remedy to the fear of man. I want you to write this down or tweet it or whatever you want to do with it. Okay? The remedy to the fear of man or peer pressure is the fear of God. The remedy to the fear of man or peer pressure is the fear of God. And you're probably sitting there, okay, what's the fear of God? I don't know what it is. This is it. The fear of God. I, and, I, and I was sitting here, and I told Tim, and I was really struggling with this, this message for, for weeks. And I think the reason I was struggling with it so bad is because I see myself in Saul so much. <laughs> There's no telling how many times in my life that I've stepped over God and bowed at the feet of, of the thoughts of, of men about me. I'm a people pleaser to the nth degree. My wife knows that, that a lot of times I will neglect everything to make people like me and be pleased with me. And I can see myself in Saul so much that I really struggle with this passage. And I really struggle with this message. And I think that's a good thing. And the truth is, I was like, I, I came up with this grand scheme of this remedy, and I was looking at it, I was like, oh my goodness, this is so confusing. I don't even know what I'm saying here. And if I say this to the church, they're going to be like, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. This is the simple thing. The fear of God is this, seeing God for who he is and understanding what he's done for you. Seeing God for who he is and what he's done for you. Because I promise you, if you get a glimpse of who God really is and what he's done for you, you'll fear him. And you won't fear other people because it will give you the boldness to do what God has called you to do. I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 6. We're done with Saul. Just like God was, I guess. The problem is peer pressure. The problem is the fear of man. But, but, but that's, not, that's something we know. That's something we all struggle with. So we need to find out the best thing, uh, what God has for us in this. So I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 6. And we're going to see this guy, Isaiah, and how he saw God. And he saw what God did for him. And how it changed him. Let's read the first eight verses. It says, and It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. 
Their voices shook the temple to its foundation, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's all over. I'm doomed, for I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's army. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to the people? Who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. Isaiah saw God for God. He, he was, his eyes were open to who God really was. He saw God as this, this holy, worthy, glorious, terrifying God. He saw the angels and all they could say about him is that this God is holy. He's holy. He's holy. He's the one that's sovereign. He's the one that's created the earth. He's the one that holds the earth in his hands. And, and, I, and I couldn't get past those words in the song. And I, I was thinking, the whole earth in his hand. There was one day that, that I was, we were messing around or something. It was some youth thing or kid thing. And, and I, was, I remember holding an egg. We were probably throwing eggs at each other or whatever. And I was holding an egg in my hand. And I was like, I'm going to see how strong I am. You know, all this kind of stuff. And I took that egg and started to squeeze it. Squeeze it. And all of a sudden went, and went everywhere. And that's the thought I had in my hand. Or in my hand. That's the thought I had in my It's the thought I had in my head as we sang that song. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the power. Thank goodness he hasn't used it. But he's got the power to crush it. He, he's the creator of every single cell in your body, every single leaf on every single tree, every little ant. And he's the one that also holds the world and the universe in place. He's also the one that came to earth, left heaven's glories, came to earth and died for our sin. That is the God that we serve. And the angels look at him and they, all they can say is holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And Isaiah sees this vision of, of this God that is just, this God that is loving, that is God that is terrifying. And he was fearful of him. And when Isaiah saw him, he saw himself as who he was. And, and he says, I'm, I'm done. I'm fixing to die. I can't understand who this God is, but I get this vision of him. My sin is destroying me and pushing me down, and I can't stand it. And I'm gonna, I know I'm fixing to die. I'm terrified of this God. So should we. And then Isaiah has something amazing happen to him. One of the angels came down with the coal from the altar, altar of forgiveness. And he says, no, Isaiah, your sin's not going to destroy you. It's not going to kill you. God's not going to kill you. He forgives you. And he rubs that, that coal on his lips, and he says, your guilt is, is gone. You're, you're forgiven. And then Isaiah this is a great thing. He sees God for who he is. He sees himself for what he is. And then he understands God is a God of forgiveness, a God of love. And he's not only the creator, the great, just, great, majestic God. He's also the God that comes down in a personal way and touches my lips and touches my heart and says, your guilt is gone. I forgive you. I love you that much. 
And then an amazing thing that happened, he says, you know what? God's like looking for somebody that wants to get on mission with him. And, 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 and Isaiah says, let it be me. I want to be the one. I want to be the one that goes and tells the nations about what, who you are and what you've done in my life and how you've come into me and forgiven me of my sins. Even though you're this great and glorious and just God, I want to be the one. I want to be the one that does that. And you see this in, in his life, and you see the remedy of the fear of man because he was not fearful to go to his neighbor. He was not fearful to go to the, the nations and the people and say, this is who we worship, this is what he'll do for you, and this is who I serve, and this is what he's done for me. When you get the fear of God, and you see God for who he is, and you see him for what he's done for you, you can't be afraid of what people think, you can't be afraid of what people say, you step out there, and you don't step over God, you step over people to worship and bow at the feet of God, who is bigger than people are. That is who we serve, and that is the remedy of the fear of man. The fear of God is the beginning of a vibrant relationship with him. Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 12 says this, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? He requires only that you fear the Lord your God and live in a way that pleases him and love him and serve him with all your heart and soul. I want to read that one more time, but I want you to catch this. The very first phrase that he says that, that is a requirement to us is the foundation of this whole passage, this whole verse, okay? The other things in the verse don't matter until you get the first part right. So he says this, when I, um, uh, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? He requires only that you fear the Lord your God. And out of that, you will live in a way that pleases him and love him and serve him with all your heart and your soul. For so many years, I, I've preached, you need to love God with everything about you. You need to serve God with everything about you. You need to do this and do that. But I've forgotten the first step so many times. If we don't know who God is and what he's done for us at the very core of who we are, you can forget those other things. We won't have teenagers go uh, to the mission field. We won't have people surrendering their lives to, to, to Christ. We won't have any of that unless we understand that God is this amazing God that holds everything together. And what he's done for us on the cross, we won't do anything else worthwhile. It'll all fall flat if we don't know that. The fear of God is not something you add to your faith. It is the springboard through which you live out your faith. The fear of God, I'd be like the preacher last week. I don't think you got that, so let me, let me say it one more time, okay? The, <laughs> the teens wanted me to preach like that. I was like, I can't preach like that. I'm a white boy from Mississippi. I can't do it. I can't do it. The fear of God is not something you add to your faith. It is the springboard through which you live out your faith. That's what it is. The fear of God leads you to a life that you were created for. Proverbs 19.23 says, The fear of the Lord leads to life. The fear of the Lord leads to life. If you want to live out your purpose for what God has given you, fear the Lord, because it will come. Read this passage. I want you to turn to this one, Revelation chapter 1. 
Revelation chapter 1, verse number 17 and 18. This is John writing, and he's talking to Jesus, and Jesus is talking to him. I'm talking about the fear of the Lord kind of leads you to the life that you were created for, the purpose that God has for you. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 17 says this, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. So many people, when they, they think, oh, the fear of God always means reverence, it always means awe, and that's part of it. But, I, you know, when you read through the, the Scripture and you read these passages on the fear of God and the fear of the Lord, there's one thing that you can really come out of this, that fear means fear. Fear means fear. It doesn't just mean awe and respect. It means fear. And when John saw the Lord, he fell at his feet like he was dead, passed out. And then he says this, but he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. He sees God, and he's like, I, I'm fixing to die. And, I, and he fell at his feet, passed out in front of Jesus. And then Jesus, in his mercy, in his grace, and his love, he comes over and lays his right hand on John's shoulder. And he says, listen, you don't have to be afraid anymore. You don't have to be fearful of me because I'm the one who was dead, but I'm going to live forever. I'm the one that... that holds the keys to death and the grave. You don't have to be fearful of what man can do to you because I hold the keys to death. They can't do anything to you until I tell them they can do something to you. You can say anything that you need to say. You can go to anywhere in the world and do anything for God. You can step out there in the workplace and do whatever you need to do for God because I have the keys to death and the grave and they can do nothing to you until I give them the keys to death and hell and the grave. That gives us the power. That gives us the boldness. And the great thing about it is, is right after Jesus says this, in verse number 19, the first few words that he says this, write down what you've seen. John sees God for who he is, and he's terrified of him. And then he sees God for what he's done. This is what I've done for you. I'm the first and last in your life. I'm the the one who was dead, now I'm alive, and I can make you that way too. I'm the one that holds the keys to death and the grave. Now I want you to go write down what you've seen. I want you to live your life on purpose. I want you to go and tell people what you've seen. Tell people what you've experienced. Tell people that you were dead, but now you're alive. Tell people that you serve a God that holds the key to death and the grave. Write these things down. And John did. And we have the book of Revelation because of it. And so many times we miss out on God's purpose for us because we're afraid. We're afraid of the wrong person. In Isaiah 6, I'm not going to go back over that again, but Isaiah 6, you see it again. You see the same scenario. You see him see God the way he is. You see him see God for what he's done for him. And then you see him begging to be on mission for God and and God sending him out to do something for him. You see it time and again. 
I don't want you to look at just one more passage because it is super important to what we're talking about today. And it's, it's Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. A great passage of Scripture. And so many times in Romans 8 we pick out verses and they're great and good, but so many times we don't take it in the chunk that it should be taken in. Romans chapter 8 verse 26. And now, if you have a Bible, I want you to make sure you read every single word that I read. If you don't have a Bible, make sure you are intent on somebody that does or you're listening closely. Because I want you to get this. Romans chapter 8 verse 26 says this. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. We could just stop right there and thank God that we're so weak, but he helps us. But we're, but we're not. <laughs> okay? And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. Have you ever been there before where you just didn't know what to pray for and the strength came from somewhere? It's because the Holy Spirit is praying for you, begging God for you when you don't know what to say. Are you thankful for that? He keeps on going. He says, And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to, become, to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. Let those words sink in. Just that last part, he says, he gave them right standing with himself. Think about that. We pass over it. We are sinful, wicked people. My heart is dark and dirty without Christ. But the great thing is this. When I gave my heart, my life, and faith to Christ and what he did for me on the cross, this is, even though I'm not righteous, God looks at me as righteous. He looks at me just like I was Jesus. Let that sink in. If you're a follower of Christ, when he looks at your life, he doesn't see your sin. He sees Christ. He sees Christ. He doesn't look at your sin. He sees Jesus. He sees me just like I've never sinned before. And in his eyes, I'm completely right with him. That's an amazing thought. And he finishes off that verse and he says, Having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. Remember what Isaiah said? Holy, and the angel said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. That glory, the glory of God, the greatness of God, he, he attributes that, he pushes that, and he, he, he makes it on us. He pushes it on us, and the glory that God has, we have that glory. These are great things. I don't know if you know that or not, 
But these are amazing things to think about, that, that the glory that Christ has, we have. The right standing that Christ has with God, we have with God. The prayers that we don't know what to pray, Holy Spirit is there to help our weakness. These are great things, but don't stop there. Look at the next verse. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can be against us? Do you get it? When you think on what God, who God is and the greatness that he is and the right standing that Jesus has with him, and then you think, oh my goodness, he's given me that right standing. Oh my goodness, the glory that Christ has, he's put it on me. And then, what shall we do? What shall we say about these things? If God is for me, if he's done this in my life, who can stand against me? I can get out there and do anything that I can for Christ and his purpose for me because it's not the people who are big. It's my God who is big. And I step over the people to bow at the feet of my Jesus who comes in my life and can do anything through me. If God is for us, who can be against us? When you understand who God is and what he's done for you, it gives you a purpose to live for. This is why Paul could say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is why a church like Woodburn can start a multiracial, multigenerational church in Franklin. This is why a church like Woodburn can go to Indonesia to give water to the thirsty and giving water, living water to the thirsty soul. This is why a church like Woodburn can send 20 teenagers to Puerto Rico to minister to those there and see God work in a community. This is why a church like Woodburn can have a vision that is greater than we are, but not greater than God is. This is why a teenager can stand up for Christ in his school. This is why a husband can love his wife as Christ loved the church. This is why we can see a hundred baptized in a year. This is why you can go out of this place and be a missionary to your family, friends, and co-workers. And this is why we can do anything God has called us to do. This is why. Knowing God and what he's done gives you the courage, the boldness, and the drive to live on purpose for God. Now let's go out and do that. Let's go out and do that. Once you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning, if Saul would have only seen God for who he is and understood what God did for him, that story would have been so different. And it's the same with us. If our church, and we've done some great things, but oh my goodness, God has so much more. God may have done some great things in your life, but he has so much more. If we could only catch a glimpse of who he is and understand his greatness, what he's done for you. What will he do? How will he change your story? Lord, we love you. We understand that, that peer pressure is the fear of man. And it's not just a teenage problem. It's a king problem. It's a pastor problem. It's an everybody problem. Lord, I pray that today that you would just open the eyes of our heart and see that you are great, you are holy. 
see what you've done for us. And the automatic reaction to that is we don't fear people anymore. We just fear you. And we want to serve you. Lord, I pray that you would speak to hearts today and challenge us to see you. Let's stand.